0: doing? How's everybody doing? Very good. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Cameron Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here if you're our guest. I want to highlight something real quick before we get moving on. So many things going on this month. Uh, You should have got these in the last couple weeks. This is our growth group booklet. This is a way for you to get connected with other people uh, in our church so they would know your name and know your need. And there's a lot of places in this book that you can get connected. I'd love for you to get Uh, in one of these groups so somebody knows who you are. One group in particular that I'm kind of highlighting, not mine, actually my wife and I are going to take one session off so we can join another group called Financial Peace University. I don't know if you looked in here and seen the description of Financial Peace University. Uh, The idea is you go through biblical principles on how you can master your finances and not have your finances master you. Uh, you get you know what I'm saying on that? And so, my wife and I are excited. We've used some of the principles. But we've never taken the class. And so, we're going to take the class together. I want to invite you to take it with me. Uh, John and Julie Lobacher are facilitating it uh, in, on, our, on our church campus this session. And so, if you haven't had a chance to sign up for a group yet, uh, maybe that's one for you. You can meet me and my wife. We'll enjoy it together, at, uh, learning principles of how to save and how to pay off debt and all that kind of stuff. So, I uh, hope you'll do that with us. Um, so excited about that. So, Also, I wanted to take us on a journey today, and maybe I could describe to you what life was like um, uh, five years ago for me. So five years ago, my my wife and I moved from Northern California to uh, Arizona. It was a mistake, and then we corrected that mistake by moving back to Southern California, uh, 16 months ago, but we moved from Northern California to Arizona, and it was right about the school year time uh, school year starts in California in September, but in uh, Arizona it starts in August I don't know why I don't know why they do that to you, but they do and so early August it starts well, We didn't move to Arizona until September and really kind of mid uh, early to mid September And so we're getting there and we're already already behind as it relates to getting kids in school So as soon as we get there we put the kids straight into school, but they're already a month behind Within two days, it was very clear to us that Donovan did not. Uh, my oldest boy, who is going to be in seventh, who is in seventh grade now, he was going into the second grade. My oldest boy was not finding favor with his teacher. Uh, somehow, the teacher had convinced herself after two days that Donovan had like this rebellious nature about him, or just refused to learn and did not want to learn. Or did not want was lazy or something to where she was kind of pointing him out and he was kind of new and he was behind. And so he'd come home kind of nervous and whatnot and we said, okay, listen, we're the ones who are late. It's not your fault, it's not our fault, but let's double down and we'll help Donovan every day when he comes home from school and we'll catch him up and then the teacher will realize that he's a good, sweet little boy and not a mean person that she's making him out to be. And so, um, so we decided to do that, and we taught him this strategy. We'd come home, we'll spend time with you and whatnot, and, 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 and we, you know, we've always done, and here, when you have a question, you can raise your hand like this, and we actually play like, rolled at home with this. Raise your hand and say, Mrs. your face mean lady, don't say that. Um, <laughs> can you please help me understand the instructions of what's going on? Because what was happening is, it's not that he didn't want to do the work, is that he didn't understand the instructions. And so he's in second grade, we're training him, can you please help, us un- help me understand the instructions of what I'm supposed to do, because I'm lost. You can say something like that, it's okay to do that, son. Okay, so he goes to school and he does that, and then he comes home that day crying with tears in his eyes, and mommy and daddy, I did that, and she said, everybody else in the room understood it the first time, and so I don't feel the need to tell you again. Yeah. So, I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, c- calmer heads prevail, a cooler head, you know, a calm answer turns away wrath. And my wife already grabbed the bat. <laughs> and said, we're marching down in that school. And I was like, okay, we gotta calm down. Okay, put the bat down, let's let's go to school. So I, I remember going uh, to the to the principal's office, and my wife, I don't remember the words that she used, but I do remember the tone. Uh, I need, in, in no so uncertain terms, a meeting with the principal right now. And so we're sitting down with the principal and doing this interaction, around, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, that woman, okay, she thinks my, and I'm thinking, man, maybe, maybe, maybe Donovan's pulled the wool over my eyes, and maybe he's a different kid than I think he is. I, I never wanted to be that parent who, like, thought to themselves, you know, there's two people in the world who's walked on water, Jesus Christ and my son, you know, and I never wanted to be that person, so that maybe, maybe there's a chance that, that I've misread Donovan, or he's somebody different from home at, at school, and so I'm trying to walk in that, and try, okay, we're going to meet with the principal, and Merit's like, can you tell me if this is best practices to tell a kid that they can't ask a question when they don't understand what to do next? And even the principal was like, no, 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 that's not best practice, not best practice at all. And then the, then the principal was like, well, I'd like to interact with you and the teacher. And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, that's not a good idea with this lovely woman that I committed my life to. But if you think so, principal, and so sure enough, we have the second meeting, and then the teacher's there, and the principal's there, and the teacher goes on to talk about how she thinks we're lying, and Donovan's really a year younger, and doesn't deserve to be in the second grade, should be in first, and we're trying to skip him along. At this point, Meredith's like, lost it. She looks at the principal, and either you're going to take my son and take it out of that woman's class and into another classroom, or I'm going to take both of my kids and go down to charter school down the street. Which would you like? And the principal's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Whatever you want, because as soon as they take the kids out, the funding leaves with the kids, right? You know. And i remember saying to myself. Okay, I'm thinking to myself. This whole thing's going down. There's tension in the room. I'm thinking, okay, coumer, coumer, calmer heads prevail. You know, a, t- a calm answer turns right around. Half, you know? And I'm trying, like, and my wife's just like, rawr. You know, what I mean? just <laughs> going after. And you know, the mama bear, because when when you mess up my kid and my son. And it is not okay to single him out like that. And he has done nothing wrong. You better believe Mama Bear is going to come out and roar. And, you know, and I, and I, and I actually learned from that situation, first of all, that by Monday, Donovan was in another class, a really angelic lady. She was really sweet. And it turns out my kid doesn't have a horrible temperament. He's just a sweet kid. And that ugly woman, she was the problem. Anyway, so then by Monday, they took my beautiful son, Jesus-like, and put him in another, in another classroom. She got... And I, as I reflect on the whole thing, I thought to myself, you know what? That was appropriate. Like, when you love someone so much, sometimes it's appropriate to fight for them, especially if, something's not, if something is not right, is happening to them. Like, when you, when you really love someone, you might find yourself fighting for them. Like, that, that, that's, that happens in life, and it's okay, and what, I'm glad I had merit there because I, I didn't have enough gumption as, to say And she got, it, she got it taken care of. Sometimes when you love somebody, you fight for them. And we're gonna look at a similar idea today, but we're gonna look at it as it relates to God. Meaning this, do you love God enough that you would fight for him? I mean, that same feeling that you had in the your side, like, wait, he can't even ask a question in his classroom? What did we pay you to do to teach the kids you don't even wanna teach, it seems like. That's not right. That boy deserves to be fought for. You have that same spirit, same, same uh, uh, feeling inside as it relates to God, that you would fight for him, that he is worthy to be fought for. And we're going to look at that in our passage today, and we're going to see this morning that what, what does fighting look like, and, and how is it enabled? To what extreme are you willing to go towards the fight for God? And who makes that possible? Is God worth my efforts? And how can I be sure he is? And for that, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So I challenge you to open up your Bibles right now. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 9. If you have a tablet with your phone, open it up so you can take good notes with us. We're ending chapter 9 today, which means next week we'll be in chapter 10. They said it couldn't be done, but look at that. We're doing it. And so uh, chapter 9, and while you open up there, let me just highlight this question that we're going to see in our text today, and that is this. Why is it important to live a moral life? Maybe you've thought of that before. Why is it important to live a moral life? I mean, Jesus forgives, so why is it even important that we live a moral life? What's the big deal? If he's going to forgive, why why do we have to live this moral life? The first thing we're going to see is because real faith avoids being defrauded. Real faith avoids being defrauded. Authentic, genuine Christianity, true Christianity, will have this motivation inside where you avoid being defrauded. You try with all get out to not be defrauded. Let's look at that in verse 42. It says this. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea and a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled Than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why is it important to live a moral life? Number one, because real faith avoids being defrauded. And he's gonna kinda give us two examples of defrauding ourselves. The first one is when we defraud someone else. We defraud ourselves when we defraud someone else, when we, when we attack someone else, when we abuse someone else. And the second is gonna be, this is how you actually defraud yourself just within yourself, your, your own eyes and your own, your own feet and your own hands. And two ways, because that's a series, you can defraud yourself this way and this way. Let's take the first one. The first way is by by taking these little ones, and if you remember last week, if you were here last week, he had just gone through his whole treatise about if you want to be great, you got to be you got to be small. If you if you want to be the best, you got to be the last. If you really want to be significant, you need to be mindful of the insignificant, and specifically talking about children. Uh, You and your society have have put an undervalue on children. They're the same class as disabled people and slaves. That was what children were. And so the idea is you've devalued them. You've made them insignificant, and they're significant to me. And when you give them an ear, you're giving them significance. If you want to rise up in my kingdom, my strategy for greatness is you take the insignificant and you say they're significant. And in that context, he comes over here and he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, these children who believe in me to sin, you abuse the innocence. It would be better for him to be thrown in the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. And, and that picture of a millstone, a millstone, let me just tell you, it's like a big disc. Think tons of weight. A big, huge rock cut into a disc with a pivot point with a piece of wood that would come out and they would tie it to a donkey. And the donkey, they'd put a blindfold around because he's just gonna walk in circles and there'd be a flat disc and a rolling disc on top and they'd just keep on going in circles like that. And what would happen is they put grain on that, and as the big disc goes over it, it'd crack the grain. Now, these things were huge, so that they would need a donkey to move around in circles. And what he's saying, that big, huge disc that they move around in circles, that weighs tons, it'd be better for you to have that wrapped around your neck and be drowned than what I'm gonna do with you after you take out my little ones. And this is so significant because there's some people in the room right now who have been abused as a child, sexually abused, physically abused, and you think to yourself, why did God let that happen? Where was God when that happened? Why did God do this to me? God didn't do that to you. Someone else did that to you. And I want to let you know something. God will right every wrong. That's what he says. I will right every wrong. One way or another, that wrong will be righted, either through forgiveness, through the work of Christ on the cross where Christ gets the wrath of God in that sense, or through the person actually facing God face-to-face one day where God says, I saw that, and that was my child. So understand this, that when you defraud someone else, when you abuse someone else, God takes special attention to that. And it will not, he will not allow that to go long-term. He will right every wrong. That's what he'll do. And fraudulent character can lead to defrauding your little brother, but it can also lead to defrauding yourself. And we see that in, 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 uh, in verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now he switches to, instead of defrauding yourself through, defrauding a brother or a sister or a little one, now you can defraud yourself by your own self. You can use your own very hands to defraud yourself. You can use your own feet to defraud yourself. Your own eyes can defraud yourself. And you need to be mindful of this. Uh, it can cause you to stumble or sin. The word is scandalizo. We hear the word scandalous in that. And the idea is if something that I'm doing with my hands that is scandalous, or something that, that where I'm, I'm a place that I'm going to with my feet being scandalous, or something that I'm taking in with my eyes, which is scandalous. If that happens, I need to take the radical approach and chop off my hands, chop off my feet, and pluck out my eyes. Meaning, get radical in your approach to defeating sin in your life. That's what he's telling him. Now remember, he is spending a ton of time preparing his disciples for when he's not gonna be there. And he's saying, this is what I have for you. Whenever the appendages of you defraud you, you need to work your butt off to radically make sure that that stuff doesn't happen anymore. You take a radical approach to ending sin in your life. In fact, this cut it off is an heiress imperative. An imperative meaning it's a command. Eris means a definitive action. You make a definite action so this does not happen again. That's what it's talking about. Now, there's a lot of discussion on, is this hyperbolic or is this literal? Is he, is, he, is he using exaggeration to make a point here, or does he literally mean chop off your hands? By, by virtue of what I'm seeing today, you guys obviously take it as hyperbolic because you guys all have your hands and your eyes and your feet, right? right? And I think that's right. I think that's correct. He's using hyperbole here, using exa- an exaggerative mechanism to prove his point. Get serious about the things that are entangling you. Get serious about how you respond to sin in your life. Take radical measures. And why would you do that? Well, there's this unquenchable fire thing that he keeps on talking about. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and thrown into hell. Or, 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 or uh, um, Gehenna is a little word in Greek, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. On the other side is the reality of hell. You do realize that, that hell is real. In fact, this whole idea of Gehenna, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Gehenna because I think its story lends a lot to this. Gehenna was outside of the city and it was a place where you would bring your infant for infant sacrifices to the pagan god of Molech. That's what Gehenna is, okay? Gehenna is outside the city where you would worship the god of Molech by offering your child in infant sacrifice.